0: Please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, and please stand for the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 1. We will again read verses 10 to 16. Paul writes to Titus on the island of Crete. He says, For there are many rebellious men... Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We have been in this section of text, Titus 1, verses 10 to 16, and learning about this problem, of course, of false teachers and the false doctrines that they have been spreading there, even in these these fledgling churches that Titus and Paul have founded there on the island of Crete. It seems that no sooner had they planted these churches that then they start seeing these problems creep into the church. And of course, this is why um, Paul primarily directed Titus to stay there in Crete and to appoint elders in every city. We need leadership in those churches, Titus. These churches needed faithful leadership that would hold fast the faithful word of God, which is in accordance with The teaching so that they will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And over the last several weeks, we have looked at different kinds of false teachers, false doctrines that have wreaked havoc in the modern church. It was in this context that I introduced to you last week what I have been calling the religion of wokeness. We started that last week. We'll have this week to finish it up. When we say wokeness, this includes other movements and ideologies such as CRT or critical race theory, intersectionality, and the social justice movement. And there's only one definition that I'm going to repeat this week. And so if you haven't heard last week's message, I encourage you to do so because a lot of what I'm going to say today really depends on definitions that we that we shared last week. Okay, so if you're like, well what does that really mean? Go back and check out last week's message. <clears throat> But the only definition I am going to repeat this week, it's uh, from Christian author Owen Strand, excuse me, I know it looks like Strachan, but it's pronounced Strand, from his tremendously helpful book, Christianity and Wokeness. He writes this, Wokeness is first and foremost a mindset and a posture. The term itself means that one is awake to the true nature of the world when so many are asleep. In the most specific terms, this means one sees the comprehensive inequity of our social order and strives to highlight power structures in society that stem from racial privilege. End quote. Now why? is this subject of wokeness. And by the way, it's a doozy, isn't it? We've already seen that just from last week. It is big and deep and wide and just huge, and it's hugely prevalent. But why is it so important for us to understand as a church? Well, again, as Strand writes, "quote The American church is receiving all kinds of woke messages and exhortations today. Wokeness and critical race theory and intersectionality are making real inroads into the church. Few know enough about these ideologies to respond to them biblically. Fewer still are speaking up to distinguish the truth from counterfeit. As a result, some Christians are going woke or pondering if they should, end quote. Now, um, as this is a, a, a kind of big giant can of worms... I recognize that even in two messages, we will in some ways only scratch the surface. Actually, I hope that by the end of today, we will maybe at least have made a dent, a little bit more than a scratch. But again, this is something so prevalent in society today, in the world today, and even in the church. And this is, it is something we have to be on guard for, that... The church, meaning the evangelical church, uh, say, out there in the world. um, But more specifically, this local church would remain pure in its doctrines and beliefs. That we would remain uh, sound in those biblical beliefs. That we would hold fast to the Word of God, Scripture, and not ever ever let another gospel come in to this church to replace the true gospel so what is the true gospel well of course it is nothing less than the fact that we are all sinners through and through we are all depraved every human being is is depraved and and fraught with sin and unable to do anything about their sin and unable to to have fellowship with With the God who gave them life and and to be able to live eternally in his kingdom because of sin. And specifically because of God's holiness and his abhorrence to sin. And of course, what our sin brings us is consequences. It brings us death and it brings us hell and it brings us the lake of fire. And it brings us that eternal separation and punishment even from the Lord Jesus for all eternity. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, that whoever would put their faith and hope and trust in Him would not receive the punishment, the consequences of their sins, but rather would have eternal life. And of course, it is Jesus who went to the cross on our behalf, who died in our place, who took our sin upon Himself And once he had died and claimed, it is finished. I have have done everything that needs to be done to wipe your sin away. He dies, he goes into the ground, but three days later, he conquers death. And he has victory with life against sin, against Satan. He has eternal life, of course, as he Is the very Son of God, but then by His resurrection, we understand that we too will have resurrection ourselves. We too can enjoy the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Furthermore, it will be with Him in His kingdom. Now, just by way of a little more, just a dash of quick review. Because I, I just think this is important. Like I said last week, we began by defining all of these terms and ideologies and movements. And then we summarized some of the key tenets of wokeness. And when I say wokeness now, I'm using it as an umbrella term to include, uh, again, all those things that I mentioned. Whether it be CRT or intersectionality or social justice movement. Um, that kind of, those kinds of things. Um, but... What we started to do last week as well was to then put these main tenets of wokeness up against scripture to evaluate them in light of God's Word. And so this next little bit, I will reiterate quickly because it it shows you where we're going with the rest of our message today. I gave you uh, seven commitments of wokeness that was put together by uh, Strand again uh, in his book, Christianity and Wokeness, after he in-depthly analyzed things like CRT and intersectionality and social justice movement. And, uh, And so here they are, and I want to present these to you again just uh, by way of reminder. One, the world is, this is again, the beliefs or tenets of wokeness. The world is fundamentally divided into uh, oppressors and oppressed people. Secondly, a major form of oppression today comes from whiteness. Uh, Thirdly, whiteness is not a neutral system but creates a culture of white supremacy that most benefits white people and also others who fail to challenge it. Fourthly, the evils of this culture show up in disparities between groups which reveal inequities, which reveal injustices. Fifthly, white supremacy must be vigorously opposed through social justice, things like anti-racism and the targeting of white privilege. Sixthly, more broadly, any form of privilege and oppression stemming from heteronormative white Capitalist, patriarchalist structures must be opposed. And then, lastly, that we can create a just, fair, diverse, and inclusive society grounded in equality of outcome by targeting inequities through political, legal, cultural, and fiscal means so that inequitable authority is deprivileged and minority groups are empowered. All right, I know that was a lot. Before we move on to examining um, a few more of these tenets uh, up against the word of God, I thought it would be helpful for you, and this is based on some comments I got even this last week, just to see how some of these ideologies and philosophies have actually, yes, come into the evangelical church. Because you might be thinking, well, I just don't see this here at Calvary Bible. And we would say, praise God, but, but, but it has come into the church and we do have to be on guard for the following uh, reasons. And here's some, a little, a little bit of history. First, we'll travel back briefly to the 1960s and seventies and what it was um, known as the birth of the of uh, black liberation theology and its father, James Cohn. While Cone did seek to address many injustices of his day as a pastor, many of his ideas, unfortunately, were rooted in Marxist belief of, again, those two groups, oppressor and the oppressed. And some of what Cone argued for was black theology, which was a departure from any sort of white man's gospel in favor of analyzing the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ in light of oppressed black people. So they will see the gospel as inseparable from their humiliated condition bestowing on them the necessary power to break the chains of oppression. That is what Cone sought to do. Some of his teachings include that Jesus was black, both literally and symbolically, so that the least in America would be understood literally and symbolically as being present in black people. Where ethics are concerned, he taught that, quote, the oppressor, meaning whites, cannot decide what Christian behavior is, end quote. In summary, while Cohn sought to address, again, very serious and legitimate societal concerns, unfortunately, he did so by deviating from the truth of the gospel. One way wokeness has also found its way into the church is through literature and books promoting wokeness that is upheld then in Evangelical circles. A classic example of this is a book called Divided by Faith. It was kind of one of the first of its kind back in the 1990s by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith who did a study on evangelicalism and race with the conclusion that the United States is a racialized society due to white privilege and evangelicals are complicit in the inequalities of racism. There's a pastor currently by the name of Eric Mason, founder, current pastor of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, who came out in 2018 with a book called Woke action and urgent call for Christians in America to confront racism and injustice in America. And in it, he makes the point that wokeness is all about holding white people, quote, accountable for the racial injustice we are entrenched in, end quote. This means, quote, deconstructing an unjust system, end quote. In its place, Mason argues for black institutions, arguing, quote, I fear that if we partner with whites, that they will find a way to subjugate blacks and make us dependent on them in a way that kills our freedom of truly, of a truly black led institution, end quote. The Urbana Missions Conference, Sponsored by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and designed to inform students about global issues and issues around the world that missionaries face. In 2015, invited a young speaker by the name of Michelle Higgins to address some 16,000 students. She decried, quote, Do you see that racism is the age-old idol in our closet that we can't manage to tear down? Do you see it in our houses of worship, my brothers and sisters? Right beside the little sexism idol, and the classism idol, and the cool car idol, and the good job idol, and the college degree idol. Do you see it? Tear it down. Tear it down and admit with torn shirt, ash on our hair, on our hands and knees. Oh God, we have committed adultery with white supremacy. The evangelical church is perpetuating white is right," end quote. At the time, the evangelical kind of world just had their jaws drop. Let's bring this a little closer to home in the evangelical church. While preaching at the Grace to You Truth Matters conference in 2022, Strand relayed this story of friends of his. He said, the moment that woke me up to wokeness, no pun intended is when a friend of mine who had adopted with his wife multiple children who did not look like them, loving these children at great cost to this man and his wife, a godly man, not a racist at all, this couple and many others like them were called at a prominent evangelical church that you would know the name of if I said it, to repent of their inherent white supremacy. And when I heard that my friend who had adopted kids who don't look like him was being called a white supremacist, I knew this was in the church. And it was in the church strong. And it was going to take some very hard work to drive out this kind of evil ideology, end quote. And there are other current and prominent evangelicals who might be given the woke label And remember that while wokeness originated as keeping awake towards racism, and we would say that was a good thing, right? It has broadened to include other ideologies such as the LGBTQ, pick your own gender, and many politically left ideas. For some churches and pastors, going woke is when they go soft on issues regarding homosexuality and women as pastors. For others, it's about being outspoken on woke-related issues and going down the road of, as author Kylie Griswold writes, a form of cultural accommodation dressed as convictional religion. The result is a religious respectability that promotes national unity, liberalism, and wokeism under the rhetorical guise of love thy neighbor. End quote. So, as we began last week, let us continue with, what does the Bible say? And our first two from last week were, the first was, was this, we talked about the fact that ethnicity is not the same as race, that there is one race, one human race, they're not, and we did this based on a word study in scripture, there are not multiple races But there are multiple ethnicities. And then secondly, our main point was that wokeness is at odds with the imago Dei, the image of God. And it actually promotes disunity over unity. So now we press on with our third point, and that's this. Wokeness sees two groups of people, the oppressed and the oppressors. Woke ideology and CRT with its what we would call neo-Marxist views only sees the oppressed and the oppressors. In Marx's day, uh, those two groups were the rich... And the poor, modern wokeism and CRT first understood this as white people being the oppressors and black people being the oppressed. However, this has gone beyond these two to include many different people groups, including, but not limited to, other people of color, women, those claiming different genders, different sexual preferences, those with disabilities, the poor, and any individual or group that might be seen as underprivileged or marginalized. As to oppressors, the circle has since expanded, broadened to include the police, public education, the wealthy, capitalists, sexists, homophobes, transphobes, men, and yes, Christians. And like I mentioned last week, Ibram Kendi, in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, writes, quote, the opposite of racist isn't not racist. It is anti racist. What's the difference? One endorses either the idea of a racial hierarchy as a racist or racial equality as an anti racist. One either believes problems are rooted in groups of people as a racist or locates the roots of problems in power and policies. As an anti-racist, one either allows racial inequities to persevere as a racist or confronts racial inequities as an anti-racist. There is no in-between safe space of not racist, end quote. In other words, if you're not doing everything that Ibram Kendi imagines that you should be doing to fight racism, then you are not an anti-racist, but you are indeed a racist. Beverly D'Angelo, author of the book I mentioned last week, White Fragility, would echo this and add that no matter how hard a white person may try to be an anti-racist, they will never not be a racist. And what's interesting is that the Bible, guess what? Also sees two groups of people. Two groups. But the two groups in the Bible are what? The saved and the unsaved. That's it. With all of humanity falling into one of these two camps. And this is not based on skin color. This is not based on social status or financial status or, or any other status. God says to all people, come, receive, believe, and all people everywhere have the ability to respond by faith or not. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 9. Here Paul is speaking of those who have gone from unbelieving to believing. From being unsaved to being saved. When he says this. Colossians uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is, get this, no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Again, referring to believers. And notice that as Christians, these folks are told nothing of oppressed versus oppressors or racists versus anti-racists in fact here's what they are told with Paul if we continue on in verse 12 so those who have been chosen of God holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience "...bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful." This tells us, obviously, that to be an oppressor is sinful. To be a racist is absolutely sinful. But the ideology that says everyone is either an oppressor or oppressed or a racist or an anti-racist is not biblical and therefore it should be rejected. But let's be clear Oppressors and racists, they should be rejected. Number four, wokeness promotes sinful partiality. Wokeness promotes sinful partiality. Again, Ibram Kendi would say, as I just mentioned, there's only two groups the racist and the anti racist, there's no middle ground. And this, along with the belief that all white people are racist in some form or fashion, leads to the sin known as favoritism, also known in the Bible as partiality. Strand writes, the solution to the problem of racial prejudice is prejudice, just of a different kind. In CRT thinking, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination you must in other words undertake a never-ending litany of works that work against your fundamentally racist nature you cannot overcome such a condition but like an alcoholic you can manage it if you're white for example you can and should try to be less white every day that you live the moment you believe this ideology you have been taken captive Showing favoritism even to a, a suffering group is repeatedly denounced throughout Scripture because it contradicts the very nature of God, end quote. As it says, friends, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. If we were to turn to, you know I have to turn there, I will just be here a second. Leviticus 19 and verse 15 says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Here's an example from James chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there. Turn to James chapter 2 right there towards the back of your Bibles after Hebrews. We have James chapter 2. Where James speaks directly to the sin of partiality. When he says this in chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and you say oh you sit here in a good place and you you say to the poor man "Uh, you stand over there or "Uh, sit down by my footstool have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives the implied answer is of course you have Now let's just pause and say that the opposite is also true. If you told the poor man to come in and sit in the best seat because he's poor while relegating the rich man to the back because he's rich, that too would be showing partiality to the poor. Back to verse 8 of James chapter 2. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Friends, loving your neighbor is what it is all about. But showing partiality because somebody is black or white or green or purple or blue or gay or straight or transgender or cisgender, etc. All is sinful as all people are made in the very image of God. All have equal value and worth and yet wokeness would tell us or demonstrate partiality by elevating certain groups above other groups fifthly wokeness seeks equity not just equality wokeness seeks equity not just equality likewise Wokeness teaches it's not enough to seek equality amongst different people groups, but what must be sought is equity. And you say, okay, but what's the difference? Al Mohler explained it well in just a recent um, episode of his podcast, The Briefing, saying this, quote, Equality as a moral category has a lot to do with the front end of a process. In other words, everyone should have uh, say an equal right to invest money in buying a piece of real estate. That's equality. Equity says that at the back end of the process, everyone's got to have exactly the same amount of property. And this is all end quote. This is also true, uh, for things like money that everybody has to have the same amount of money. Um, Or things like jobs or opportunities and anything that we might speak of uh, as being privileged. This is why capitalism in this system is seen as evil. Because not everyone ends up with the same. Moeller continues, quote, Many Americans just assume that equity means equality. But equity is something that's now been brought in as an ideology that would force massive social change. And the claim is that if there is an inequity, it is caused by some kind of discrimination or prejudice, end quote. And, of course, the, the idea of all things having to be equitable, again, comes out of Marxist ideology. And today, this ideology, I mentioned it before, would be actually known as neo Marxism or new Marxism. He then, Muller goes on to cite a current issue known or being called out there, you might have heard about it recently, as equitable grading. ...that school districts around the country are being called to participate in by the woke community. Some believe equitable grading is necessary because even with equal educational resources through schools, public schools specifically... ...outcomes amongst certain racial or ethnic groups of kids are less than equal as some still fare poorer than others... Woke proponents say that traditional grading methods, quote, favor those with a stable home life and more hands-on parents, end quote. The solution, equitable grading, which seeks to measure a student's knowledge at the end of a term, not with traditional grading, but with allowances such as homework being optional, for instance. Uh, No penalties for bad behavior, multiple opportunities to complete tests and assignments, and the grading scale would start at 49 or 50%. In other words, you get 50% just for existing. The problem with this is, is that also can adversely affect those that are excelling. Now, biblically speaking, the Bible acknowledges people of different financial status, doesn't it? It recognizes that they're are poor people and there are middle-class people, there are rich people, but it never suggests they must be evened out so that everybody has the same. In fact, Jesus had at least a couple of followers, probably more, that were extremely wealthy. He had many that were poor, but he never told the wealthy that they had to stop and give all of their wealth to the poor. Yet people then like uh, the rich young ruler who were told to do just that, give to the poor, right? Because Jesus knew that it was a stumbling block in the man's heart that was preventing him from coming to Jesus. And Zacchaeus, he ended up giving away much of his wealth, even four times as much for defrauding the people. But again, that was out of a, a repentant heart. In fact, Jesus also speaks of the fact that those who follow him will have treasure, but it will be treasure in heaven, while those who reject him will be stripped of any earthly wealth and suffer eternal punishment. How about Jesus when he says in Matthew 13 and verse 12 about those who accept him versus those who reject him for whoever has to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away. I mean, this hardly sounds like equitable. And yet both groups were given an equal opportunity to accept or reject. Sixthly, and this is going to be our last category for today. I actually have five others. (laughs) that were to be in the message. So here's what I'm going to do, because we're going to end this today. I'm going to put together this week a a document, a paper that will include last week's message, this week's message, and then our five points still to come. And we'll release that to you, the church, this next week, okay? But our last point this morning is that wokeness is a false gospel. It is a false gospel in the way that we've defined wokeness. I say this kind of tongue in cheek because, of course, wokeness does not teach anything having to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not grounded in the saving work of Christ on the cross or justification by faith, but rather it condemns by denying the atonement and teaching works righteousness. This is really kind of a a summary of everything that we've learned so far. Remember, the wokeness teaches again that all white people are inherently racist. And instead of Jesus atoning for any sin, we must work off that sin of white supremacy ourselves by becoming an anti-racist, performing acts of cultural repentance and paying reparations. And yet with all of this, we are still hopelessly doomed because we will never be able to undo or fully atone for our whiteness. Thus, we encounter a problem then, according to wokeness, that God's gospel cannot overcome. It, The gospel of Jesus cannot overcome these problems. Strand observes, in woke Christianity thought, the gospel can give us a new birth, but it does not overcome and defeat our inherent participation in whiteness if we benefit from it. Here is where we see wokeness and CRT at its absolute deadliest. According to this system, there is a condition that gospel faith does not make right. Only anti-racism is a uh, a regimen of ritual confession and penance on the individual side. And political improvement and public policy on the communal side makes our racist wrongs right. Thus... It is finished that Jesus said is not technically correct. Wokeness would have us correct Jesus in his dying breath at Calvary. There is more for sinners to do than just believe and repent. Wokeness adds to the gospel, therefore wokeness subtracts from it. The gospel announces forgiveness and resulting innocence. Wokeness announces guilt and unending condemnation. God's good news is the ministry of freedom. Wokeness is the ministry of imprisonment. The end result is a gospel that is thoroughly unlike the biblical gospel, a gospel that is anti-gospel. End quote. Friends, Romans 1.16. You probably know this verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul is referring to the very gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, to everyone. If we were to skip down to Romans chapter 8 verse 1, we have this this beautiful and credible promise therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and the overall point here friends is that God's gospel tells us that we are liberated from our sins we are freed from our sins whereas the woke gospel says we are condemned for Our sins. And friends, no doubt, let us be clear again racism and oppression are evil. They are evils of this world, but they are evils that can be fought with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't need the gospel of wokeness. The word of God is everything, everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. It is everything we need pertaining to life, including the evils that persist in life. And it is everything we need for godliness and how to fight against those evils. I mean, if Jesus himself used the word of God against Satan, shouldn't we then use the word of God against racism and oppression and any other evils of this world? I mean, it was sufficient for him. Is it not sufficient for us? Well, as I said, we're we're going to pause here in our biblical evaluation of woke ideology. You will get this document this week that has our last five points. But we have to we have to press on to one last one last deal here that we need to talk about before we wrap things up. We've heard a lot now about what we should not be doing. What we shouldn't be doing is, say, individuals of the church. The question is, is what what should we be doing? What should we be doing? If these things are indeed evil, what should we be doing? I'm just I'm going to I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures. If you like to take notes, maybe just write down the write down the the scripture reference, because we're we're unfortunately not going to spend a lot of time on each one of these in the context of this message, right? I just want to get your brains to start thinking and being mindful of what the Bible says, you know, old and new, about what we should be doing as Christians. In Psalm 10 and verse 17, the psalmist says, O Lord, You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. So we should be vindicating, in this case, the orphan and the oppressed because there are men that cause terror. In Psalm 82 and verse 3, the psalmist says, Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted. And destitute. And in Psalm 146 verses 7 and 9. The Lord God who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. And in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice. To love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In the New Testament we see much of the same in Romans 12 and verse 15 when Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Galatians 2 and verse 10, they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do, Paul says. And in James 1 verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You have true religion. Do you have true Christianity? Are you indeed a true child of God? Then you will do. You will do these things. 1 John chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 the apostle writes, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So yes, we need to, to love by the truth of God's word, but that love has to translate in terms of what we do, in terms of our deeds. And Matthew 25, verses 30, uh, beginning in verse 34, a familiar passage to many of you. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, And you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then in verse 40, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to who? Jesus, me, he says. These are the things, friends, that we can and should be doing. As I wrap this up this morning, let me just, along these lines, here is how these things can be put into to practice. Uh, I'm going to share with you, and again, this is uh, from, from Strand's book, it's, it's what wokeness is not. What it's not. We talked a lot about what it is. What is it not? In other words, to reframe it, what are we to do? Here's what you are to do. Do promote societal harmony across backgrounds and skin colors. Do seek peace in fiery settings with a history of ethnic tension. Do acknowledge massive failings in American and Western history, namely long and sustained patterns of racist thought and practice. Do be troubled by Christians' complicity with racism in the past. Do marry someone from a different ethnic background. Do adopt children from a different region or with a different skin color. Do grieve the needless deaths of human beings who are made in the image of God and bear God-given dignity and purpose. Do everything you can and know to do uh, and know um that to do uh, to build bonds with people different from you in various ways. Do enjoy global culture and those who differ from your own background. Do pray for greater diversity in our church through the saving of fellow sinners. Do seek greater justice in a world that is filled with hostility, pain, and injustice. Do work to be more thoughtful with one's language regarding personal differences. Do recognize that you have in yourself the sinful potential to spew the hate of partiality and to act on this in short-term or long-term ways. Do identify troubling trends of partiality in one's national, regional, communal, or familial heritage. And do seek to leave such evil behind and do rejoice in gospel-driven fellowship across all common boundary markers in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your word and the fact that, Lord, we can we can take Anything, anything the world might send our way or the world might throw at us or anything the world might tell us or try to get us to believe and we can weigh it up against your scripture to see if these things be true. And I, I, I pray, Lord, just for continued understanding for us in this this area of the whole wokeness ideology. I pray, Lord, that we sift everything through the grid of scripture I pray, Lord, that, yes, we will acknowledge racism. We will acknowledge inequalities. That, that we will acknowledge oppression. And, Lord, that as a believer, we would seek to do everything in our power, Lord, to combat these things, recognizing that, Lord, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And, Lord, may this also spur us on. To desire to share the gospel with those who need it, and if there is anyone here this morning, Lord, that needs salvation, that they would repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus, even right here, right now, we pray all of this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible, copyright by the Lochman Foundation.